Hello and welcome back to The Loyal Sun Show. That's at The Loyal Suns on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us there and follow us here for Pitt Sports content you won't want to miss. If you love the view from the top of the conference and hate ACC disrespect, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sun Show, a safe, sunshiny place for your Pitt Athletics fix, presented by Section 5. My name is David, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Squid and Dylan. And we have a great show for you today. Uh, Pitt Wrestling Assistant Coach Drew Headley joined us to talk about the Pitt Wrestling Panthers, their season thus far, and the way they are heating up just in time for the ACC and NCAA tournaments. But first, Pitt basketball is undefeated this week. We're number one. We're number one. That's right. You heard that chant correctly. We are currently the number one team in the ACC, the top of the conference, the head of our class. Just as we all predicted back in November. Saw it coming a mile away. So do we do this? We ask this every week. Do we do this chronologically um, and talk about the ass whooping against Louisville first, or do we talk about what's what's fresh and exciting, which was the uh, the comfortable or Less pleasant comfortable. win against Florida State? My singular note for the Louisville game was comically bad, referring to the Louisville basketball team. I have never laughed during a basketball game more than I did during that Pitt Louisville game. Uh, Dylan and I were there. Pretty solid crowd, given the fact that we we're facing a team that was three and twenty at the time, and they played like a three and twenty team. They warmed up like a three and twenty team. They were diving on the floor, missing the ball. They couldn't do anything, and it was so funny. It was like it was the Globetrotters. I would turn around, and Squid would just be like laughing maniacally, just like belly laughing, cracking up at something a Louisville player did, and yeah, it's pretty bad. The, the fall from grace that program has had. Kenny Payne, obviously, in his first year, not many schools will fire a guy after one year just for on-court performance, but he's making quite the case. I've never seen a bench interact with each other less in my entire life. I don't blame the players, really, for having an absolutely shitty time being a part of a, a three-win team. But the yeah. contrast between Pitt like Kenny Payne said it after the game, like the togetherness the Pitt has, like he noticed that. Uh, everyone on the bench goes nuts. The twins bring the energy on the bench when they're not playing. Like the walk-ons, like Jeffress and everyone else on the end of the bench, they're they're always involved. The Louisville bench was just like a dozen guys sitting there silent, looking ahead. Absolutely miserable. My only note from that game is that um, Pitt shot so well from three that it actually worried me. Um, there's kind of this analogy I have. Um, Donald Trump, the guy who used to host The Apprentice, he actually he has this belief that you are born and live with a certain amount of energy. And like if you work out, you're actually using up energy and then you die sooner. Because again, you have a very finite. This is this is 100% real. Um, you have a finite amount of energy, like in your body, your whole life, and you shouldn't use it up extraneously. 
I think that that's dumb, but I have that theory for three-point shooting and that Pitt has a very finite amount of three-pointers they can make over a year stretch, and we might have wasted too many of them against Louisville. I don't know. With the way this team's played this year, that number might be infinite with the amount of threes they can make with the shooters all over the floor. I, I know what you're saying. You don't want to waste a bad shooting night. I don't know if there's much you can really – much basis around that claim. Uh, it's kind of just a sports fan paranoia. Yeah. But I definitely sometimes am like, oh, we're wasting a bad shooting night on a bad team or a good shooting night on a bad team. Exactly. And we used up all the threes that we could have used in the NCAA tournament or the ACC tournament. So I am worried about that, um, but happy we kicked the shit out of a dog-ass team. All right, we moving good, on. We good on yeah. Louisville? Okay. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we were good on Louisville. Okay, like... one more thing. <laughs> okay. Great Twins game. The Twins were hilarious. They played great. They had, I think, ended up being 10 blocks combined. I know the stats changed. They're awesome. Yeah, they 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 definitely lead the league in giving me a nice little chuckle. Um, I think I think every game they have a triple double, uh, a combined triple double with points, rebounds, and giving Falling me a down. giggle. Doing Falling something funny, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, they're hysterical. Anyone who hasn't listened to them on the Jeff Cable show this past week, it was pretty awesome to hear them. They they have a good sense of humor too. It's not just like. There is a lot of unintentional comedy with them, but they are that they tall and skinny and foreign. Yeah, that was Stephen right. Adams. When Stephen Adams is an incoming freshman, he did all these interviews and he was just like a goofball who was clueless. He had never been to America. These kids could have like a, a show. They could host a podcast and I'd listen to it. They should come no, on but podcast, they, they, is what I'm saying. They yes. shouldn't host their own because then no one would listen to us. <sighs> yes, they should come on our show every week. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Squid looking for ways to lose us listeners. On to Florida State. On to Florida yes. State. So that one was tight. But, you know, correct me if you guys felt any differently, but it it always felt like, yeah, we got this. Like, I wasn't sweating at any point yesterday. I agree. It was not until we were actually losing where I thought about getting worried. I was like, oh, wait, this is really happening. We're actually losing right now. And before I could fully comprehend it, Jamarius Burton did the thing where he's like, give me the ball. I'll get us a bucket. And then he did it again. And then we were back in the lead. And I was not worried. Yeah, it's something about the way we match up with Florida State. I think their length gives Pitt a bit of an issue. But it did feel like any time Florida State did a really good job of not letting Pitt snowball and go on runs that would pretty much make the game out of reach. But Pitt also did a good job of not letting Florida State uh, string together real long stretches where, you know, keeping Pitt scoreless. Basically, any 8-0, 10-2 runs for Florida State didn't happen. And Pitt really did. It was just like a really mature game. Obviously, like you said, Squid, Jamarius Burton has those stretches where he's like, all right, I know we need a bucket at this point. I'm going to go get it. And he gets you back-to-back. Uh, mid-range jumpers and you have guys like nike sabande coming mm. out and off the bench sabandi goes to work hits two threes in a row gets to the hoop gets you a quick what was it 10 points and and maybe a three minute span so you have that a guy like that who's a spark off the bench and just said it's at this point it's just recurring theme every week we have different guys who can step mm-hmm. up and that's exactly what happened 
Yeah, you're exactly right, Dylan. Uh, Burton, of course, did his thing as he always does, but make no mistake, this was a Nike game. Uh, it's actually kind of been a Nike week. Uh, I don't really remember what he did against Louisville, but the missed tomahawk into a three-pointer was all time. But yeah, no, he he was the spark pit needed when they needed it uh, against Florida State. And um, um, given how well Nike has played recently, it put somebody on blast for a atrocious take on him. Uh, somebody tweeted in November... I feel for Nike because he came back for one last shot at college basketball after the torn ACL, but he is unplayable at this point. That was us, but it feels important that we we own up to it and take our our lashings and uh and you know be better for it. I mean, I didn't tweet it; one of you guys did, but uh, just bad on our part. I'll step up. I, I was the one who sent that original tweet. I also sent the tweet yesterday owning up to it and saying that this is definitely our worst tweet. I will say I know what I tweeted at the time was something I truly felt, and it did feel like he was still getting his bearings back after after the torn ACL. And I think a lot of people were in agreement with me. I can also say that it was probably a way too it was definitely way too early to just count him out that he mm-hmm. wasn't going to be able to rebound. It was, you're coming off a torn ACL. You're not ready to trust your knee yet. Uh, you probably played minimal basketball in the last year or so, just getting back to full strength. So it was going to take some time for him to get back to full strength. And boy, has he. Like, this is the guy that we recruited as a transfer out of Miami of Ohio. Obviously, the NCAA screwed up his first year by not clearing him until, I don't know, what was it, the 10th game, something like that. Mid-December. Yeah, yeah mid-December. And then COVID year, Then he had, I mean, he has an injury. Like, this is a guy who's had a tough go at it through college and through his college career. And it's awesome to see him excelling now in a role that, I mean, that six-man role for him is that you could argue Pitt, without Nike Sabandi this year, if he would have just called it quits, like, hey, I've had have had a good basketball career. That last injury, I'm, what, 23, 24 years old. Without Nike Sabandi this year, there's probably a couple games that don't end up in the win column for Pitt. He's been a huge difference maker for them and absolutely just been an awesome spark is the word that keeps being used for him. But he's the perfect sixth man. He's instant offense when Pitt isn't able to get a bucket, you know, usually Bert, Jamarius Burton is the guy they go to, but Nike's been that guy for them a few times this year. And he's yeah. been, I, he has been the defender on both the Wake Forest last possession and the UNC last possession uh, that came down to the final shot. He was guarding Appleby, forcing him. Jeff Cable talked about a post game, forcing him left, did a great job of making him go left, missing that jumper. And then on the Caleb Love fadeaway that, wouldn't have counted anyway because he didn't get it out of his hands, but Nike got the block on that last possession. So just coming up in big moments for them. Yeah. First of all, uh, props to us for not deleting the tweet and owning up to it. That's just a, a great move Very by big us. Of us. So much integrity per usual from the Loyal Suns. Wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> anyway, uh, I can't say that I've looked into who is going to win sixth man of the year in the ACC. I have to imagine it'll be Nike Sabande. I think to make up for our terrible take, we'll start leading the train for Nike Sabande to win sixth man of the year. We might not even have to. We might be the clear-cut winner already. Something I think a lot of people forget, 
before Nike got here, I guess after he's been here, he's been here for a while. He's played in over 100 games. He's scored over 1,500 career points. He's a very good basketball player, very experienced. He knows what he's doing. We should have trusted him to figure it out back in November. He clearly has. He's embraced the role and perhaps one of the most valuable players on this team. I did not know uh, that college basketball had a six-man of the year award, uh, let alone for individual conferences. But since I found that out 20 seconds ago, it is now my life's mission to get Nike's name on that award. Yeah, and the that ACC is has one. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Mm. Perfect. Now, now my life has meaning again. And I don't know if there's are, an NCAA one, campaign. but there's an ACC one. I feel like the uh, media is going to look at Nike's stat line. They're just going to pull it up and be like, "Oh, this guy's averaging seven point eight points per game." A lot of that's dragged down because I think this is around when this tweet was made. Four games into the year, he, his point totals were six point zero zero zero. And then after that, he scored 17 against Alabama State. Then he started to round in the form a little bit. So uh, those numbers are dragged down. Obviously, in ACC play, those numbers jump up a good bit. Um, and just looking at the history of the ACC Sixth Man of the Year Award, interestingly enough, Florida State has won the last four. Odd trend. But I'm going to go, go ahead, ahead and say they're not going to win. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <Nope. laughs> Eight, eight win teams don't get the ACC Sixth Man of the Year award, but I mean, just for okay, Matthew Cleveland won it last year. He's a starter for them now. Scotty Barnes won it the year before, was a top five pick in the NBA draft. Patrick Williams was the winner of the year before, also, also a top, top five, five pick. pick. So that, that there's a little bit of I, I'm calling BS on that. You don't just get to put a lottery pick on your bench and then bring him off, and he wins the Sixth Man of the Year. It feels like why is a lottery well, pick on your bench in the first place? Exactly. Leonard Hamilton's doing some weird stuff down there. It sounds he's like we're it, just giving Florida State awards for being dumb. He's bringing seven foot four guys every year. He's putting his best players on the bench to start the game. It's some weird. I mean, it works most of the time, but I'm not going to doubt Leonard Hamilton. Uh, last thing on the the Florida State game before we start talking about the tournament picture at large. Uh, how do you guys feel about the uh, black and gold uniforms? Saw a lot of conversation and debate about it on Twitter this weekend. I think there's way too much energy being used discussing whether they're good or bad. Like Pitt wears them two or three times a year, maybe. I like them. I think they're pretty sharp. It, this is like the Steel Panther uniforms or whatever mm. we call the, the gray football uniforms. But Recruits, sucked. recruits seem to like them. Every recruit who comes on a visit takes a picture in those Steel Panther uniforms. Every recruit who comes takes pictures in these Pittsburgh P jerseys. Adds a little bit like this is we talk about how Pitt basketball is the city of Pittsburgh's team. Like it adds to that, you know, the black and gold color scheme of all the pro sports teams. So I don't mind if they wear them like two or three times to find something else to complain about. Don't tempt me too. I can complain about a lot of things. Yeah, we are Pitt sports fans. The P, I will say, I'm not crazy about the P. That's my only thing. I I agree with you on everything. I think it's really cool that they're trying to loop it in and make it, you know, a city of Pittsburgh brand Pitt basketball. Uh, I think it, I just think it could be done better. 
Maybe um, like the Panther head logo. Right. I was else? I was thinking they they kind of try to make them look like those uh, pirates uniforms from the seventies and do like Pittsburgh, like full Pittsburgh and Pitt script instead of just the P, which I don't very much like. And then maybe like some white pinstripes. That might be overkill, but I, I think a script full Pittsburgh across the chest would be sweet. We have the best colors in sports. Just don't mess up the jerseys. It's not that hard. Make them half decent. We'll be all right. My bigger gripe is that we don't have the... a throwback to the early 2000s. No, the oh. that we, our home gold uniforms aren't like the gold with the blue pit script across the chest. It's just the best jersey we have any combination and instead we just mess it up my biggest complaint is that we do not have the throwback jerome lane type uniforms in the arsenal i think we should have busted those out for the jerome lane uh yeah ceremony game and just went like full throwback but i guess all the budget's going towards victory heights we can't get too many new uniforms I blame I th- Nike, not Nike Sabandi, Nike, the corporation. I think I just tipped my hand, but yeah, I, I want a early 2000s throwback, which is funny because we all wanted to get rid of those so badly, but I just can't think of pit basketball without them. Well, here's the I- thing. Now that we're good, maybe Nike will start paying attention to us and be like, oh, we got to give Pitt something new and fun. Like we're not going to waste our time giving the, 14th best team in the ACC, all this new swag. Now that we're at the top of the castle, top of the mountain. Yeah. Give top of the stuff. cathedral. I, I will say the, like with the football uniforms, I'm like, yes, we never have to go back to the old Dion Lewis, Tyler Palco jerseys. Like those can stay in the closet Disgusting. forever and ever. With pit basketball, I just so much relate pit basketball with those early 2000s uniforms. Like, I've been watching some of the early 2000s games on YouTube recently just because I can't get enough basketball right now. And it's just like those feel right for pit basketball. Like, the ones we're wearing now, the blues and the whites are still beautiful. I still love them. Still should be our main go to. But coming out with those block letter DeWan Blair jerseys. Once once a year for a home game, I, I think it would be pretty electric, and maybe some baggy shorts to go with it. Some headbands. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, can we dig Sam Young's old shorts out of the closet because those would go down to his socks. I don't know how he was so good or how he can dunk, but it shows how athletic he was. Those were shants, man. Yeah, those were historic shants. I want I want shorts so long in those in these throwback games that like dribbles between the legs get caught up in, in all the extra fabric. Maybe some baggy white tees too. the baggy white tee under the Jersey was a staple of the 2003 pit team. Yeah. In honor of Keith Benjamin, I think Nellie Cummings should break that out. So glad we got a weekly uniform talk out of the way, but, uh, I hate to interrupt it by saying that Joe Lenardi dropped an article today where he said that Pitt is a lock for the tournament. And that also feels pressing and like we should talk about it. I don't think it was an article. I think someone wrote an article about the Joe Lenardi quote. 
Joe Lenardi mentioned that in studio. But either uh, way, which is even better. Joe Lenardi is, said, "Yes, yeah. Joe Lenardi said that Pitt's a lock at this point." I don't think he definitely doesn't mean that in terms of like if Pitt loses out, they still get in. But basically, he's saying like, yeah, this team is tournament good. They're going to get in. I think he said our ceiling is a six seed, which I'm guessing he's projecting a little bit of like uh, they're going to lose a couple games and that's probably Mm -hmm. the highest they can get. But I'd be interested to see like if if Pitt closes out the regular season here and maybe only drops one more game and then wins the ACC tournament. I'm not trying to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I, I, I think an ACC champ pit team with eight losses might be able to uh, sneak into the five, four or five line. I, I don't know how that will work out. The, the ACC, the, obviously the laptops and the computers don't love the ACC, so that could be that could be tough to overcome. Yeah, if the nerds don't like it, that's what it's all about, I guess. It's just weird seeing the team first in the ACC, not ranked. I assume we'll be ranked by the time this comes out. Yeah, it'll be out by then. Maybe we'll be like 24, 25, but it, it's crazy to think like this might be the best or second best ACC team and we're getting a six seed. Back in the day, there'd be like five Big East teams in like the top four seeds. Yeah, I just, I don't think whoever comes up with these metrics or these rankings, uh, loves an ACC with a mediocre UNC and Duke and that we all have to suffer as a result of that. Absolutely. I, I don't mind the six seed line anyway. I mean, that's saying that now, (laughs) imagine me saying that in November, like, Oh, I wouldn't mind if Pitt was a six seed. Like no kidding. I guess I'd be okay with it. The the five twelve game, like we got bumped up to a five. I'm just like, Oh no, it's a 12, five. Like upset every, the, every the most five. dangerous seating matchup. Yeah, yeah you're sports. you're gonna run into like a 12 seed Kentucky or something and get just get very unlucky. I'd rather get that six eleven, probably get a team you know who was on the bubble borderline, maybe like a mid major team who snuck in at the end. Um, but walk for the tournament is I, I I can't even describe it right now. It's like a, it's like a dream at this point. I'm just thinking about us winning the first round game against the 10 seed and then going on to beat Purdue in the second round and just how great that will feel. Because it's going to happen. The twins can uh, sit on each other's shoulders to try to guard Edie. He could create a mega person. As, as much as I would be petrified of running into Edie in the tournament, it would be objectively hilarious to see Guillermo or Jorge guarding him and just like how much they would be falling on the floor, flopping, drawing fouls on him. Like mm-hmm. it would be a sight to see. I would not be upset if Jeff Capel went full stop ED and triple teamed him with the twins and Federico and just let everyone else just jack up threes. Hack and ED. I mean, you can let Ethan Morton shoot. He's shooting like 20% from three this year or something like that. So, yeah. The one that got away from Jeff Capel. The one should have been fired after he didn't get Ethan Wharton. So looking ahead, realistically, short term, long term, great goals. Short term, we got two games this week. Boston College, another team that's kind of in the same tier as Florida State. 
And then after that, we have Virginia Tech, who is not five bad. And nine of the ACC, but they're uh, they're feeling themselves a little bit lately. Really excited to shit talk our new bosses um, about Virginia Tech, uh, but no, that'll be good. I I just take care of business against BC, who is bad, and I'm excited to get pretty jacked up for the game on Saturday. Is that home or is that uh? In Blacksburg, we're, we're in Blacksburg for that one. So mm. that'll be that'll be a big game. Obviously, one game at a time. Take care of Boston College on Tuesday, but it'll be a big one. They Virginia Tech just beat UVA at home last week, so it's a tough place to win. And when they're at full strength, they are they're a tough out. So one game at a time. But here we are, fellas. It's mid February, and we're talking about seeding seeding situations for pit basketball. Nature is healing. It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with home field this season to keep pit fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSUNS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide, and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis, there's something for every fan. So whether you're buying for a Pitt fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSUNS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. Please welcome on to the show assistant coach for the number 17 team in the country, the Pittsburgh Wrestling Panthers, Drew Headley. Drew, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for joining us. This is a brave new world for us to to cover wrestling a little bit uh, and I, I imagine that is the same for many of our listeners so for the uninitiated could you bring us up to speed on this year's team and what you guys have accomplished so far yeah um so far we are three and one in the ACC we have one one match left uh we'll wrestle Duke this coming Saturday but um we had a, a big win over Virginia Tech who was uh ranked number five at the time um and then we kind of uh, fell this past weekend to NC state who was number six um, in the country. So um, that was a big matchup down at NC state, you know, guys fought hard, but uh, came up a little short. Um, But one, uh, one more dual meet left before we head into our, our postseason where we have our ACC championships and then uh, the national tournament. So we finish up like mid-March. Awesome. So pretty successful season thus far. Is that, is that pretty for the very, very uninitiated? Is that pretty par for the course? Is is Pitt a wrestling power, or or is this a program on the rise like so many of uh, Pitt's athletic uh, teams right now? Uh, I, th- I think we have a pretty strong history um, in wrestling here, and I mean, even someone that doesn't know wrestling well, like just for some reason, people always say it's like, oh, this is a powerhouse, which it is, you know. 
Pennsylvania, especially Western Pennsylvania, is mm -hmm. really the best high school wrestling in the entire country. Um, so we definitely have uh, some some good fans, um, some knowledgeable fans uh, coming to the our home matches, um, and that makes a great atmosphere for us. Um, but yeah, we we've always been uh, a pretty solid team. You know, I wrestled at Pitt from 2003 to 2008, and you know, I'd say we're a, a little step up from that right now, where we're consistently you know, a top 20 team and we're mm. knocking on the door to be, you know, that, that consistent top 10 team. So we're, we're pretty close to that. We got a good thing going right now um, and think the future looks bright. You mentioned there that uh, Pitt has a strong history and that you were a part of that history. Uh, you're a localish guy down from Waynesburg area. Was Pitt a dream school for you or how'd you end up at Pitt? Uh, you know, I, I didn't really know. Um, I think, a lot of kids growing up, you see, especially back then, you know, without social media, um, Iowa was always a big thing. Oklahoma State were like the the mm -hmm. perennial, like, number one, number two teams. So Those corn-fed boys. Yeah, yeah. So you, you saw a lot of that. So I didn't really, like, have a particular team or a school that I knew I wanted to go to. My dad went to – wrestled at a small school. He wrestled at Messiah College uh, near Harrisburg. So I didn't really have a tie to any schools growing up, but my dad was a pit fan. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, one thing led to another and, you know, I, I couldn't be happier with the choice I made. I mean, you're still here, so you must like it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, once I got to pit, there was no turning back. You know, I've, I love the city. I love the university. Um, I, I moved away for a couple of years at different coaching positions, but I knew I would always end up back in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And you're, you're a pit guy through and through. Um, you're, you're one of the first guests we've had that is like an avid listener of the show. So thank you for that. You we've had the opportunity to tailgate with you and everything always a great time. So I want to talk a little bit about your, you know, connection to Pitt. Can you share a couple, you know, memories you have as a student athlete, you know, at the university of Pittsburgh and kind of how you think um, being a student athlete and the wrestling program have changed since then? Yeah, I mean, loaded question. I apologize, but we no, love talking pit and all stories pit. No, I, I mean, I think I, I told you guys this story before, but I, uh, it goes back to the first day that I moved onto campus. Um, my parents moved in, moving, moved me into my dorm room uh, in Sutherland Hall. Went down, gave my mom a mom a hug, you know, said goodbye. I get back in in Sutherland Hall and I go into the elevator, and the doors start to close, and all of a sudden, uh, a hand like basically stops the doors from closing and it opens back up. And I'm meanwhile, I'm just like this little kid. I wrestled 125 pounds. I'm, you know, five foot four, maybe as a freshman in college and uh, on walks, Aaron Gray and Chris Taft, and they stand on either side of me. So I got, you know, seven foot and seven foot one standing over top. of me. <laughs> you know, what am I getting myself into? These guys are giants. Um, just three well, guys on athletic scholarships. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, but, you know, just being in Sutherland Hall, you know, I, I mean, I've been a sports fan my whole life. Um, you know, I played a bunch of sports growing up. But then when I got to Pitt, you know, I, I was already, you know, following the basketball team. I love the football team. Um, so always been a huge fan of, of other sports and what other people do. Um, and then as an alumni now, it's like, uh, you know, we have so many teams that are doing well. I love following all of them and each of their successes. So aside from the fancy new blue and gold colors that we have now, 
Uh, what are the biggest improvements in pit athletics since the time that you were a student athlete here? Like facilities, oh, anything? I mean, my freshman year, we were Aeropostale. I mean, yeah, like I don't know Weird how many time. people even on this podcast remember those days, but like I couldn't believe it. I remember I remember shopping at that school that store in the mall when I was in high school, and you know it was like American Eagle, but mm. it's like they were making all of our athletic gear. Like our practice gear was all made by this Aeropostale brand that had no business in the athletic world, but that's what we were with. You know, now we can probably wear Nike and have much better colors and the pit script and all that. But yeah, we, we've come a long way for sure. <laughs> I Those uniforms were so ugly. I think for everything except basketball. And that's only because basketball was so good and so naturally relevant that we it like, didn't matter. Kind, yeah, we kind of like tie basketball to that Navy blue and like dusty gold, but mm-hmm. everything else looks so much better in the Royal blue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just pops more, you know, it's like there were, times when you would you could flip through the channels and you're like oh who's this team wearing the navy and the the gold and it didn't really pop but now you turn on a, you're flipping through the stations watching football games you're like wow th- those pit uniforms they, they look good you know oh yeah they're they're so so pleasing to the eye mm-hmm. uh those are great uh <clears throat> so in terms of uh preparation for you know the matches and and everything like that how much is grinding tape a part of what you guys do um it kind of depends on each wrestler um so as coaches we watch a lot of film we watch a lot of film on um our upcoming opponents you know our guys from previous matches but each wrestler um has their own way of going about what they like to do um and so we kind of cater to that um and then and we'll bring things to our guys of just um, any anything like big that sticks out about their opponent. Like, hey, if they have one move that they do every single match, like this is what you got to look out for. Um, but really when it comes down to it, it's like w- what you do yourself more than worrying about what this guy does. Because if you worry about your opponent and what they're doing, then that gets you off your own game plan. Um, so we'll, we'll give the guys – a little bit of advice and, and, you know, things to look out for. But for the most part, it's like we want our guys to be themselves and, and go out there and compete to their, but the best of their ability so that, you know, they can put their best thing out on the mat. Another form of wrestling preparation that most non wrestlers might think is the craziest part about wrestling is cutting weight. Yeah. Uh, do you have any insanely crazy cutting weight stories from back in the day? I, I know, it's always the garbage bags and the saunas and yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I mean, I, I used to cut way too much weight whenever I was younger. Um, and I'm not like proud of that. Um, I think the sport has changed some and, and for the good where guys are wrestling a little closer to their, um, natural weights now, just because man, when when you cut too much weight, it, it obviously, hurts your performance. So, you know, and you only get one hour between the time you weigh in and the time you compete for our dual meets. So you don't really get a chance to gain or, you know, replenish your body quite that much. But I mean, you still see it some, I mean, some guys, you know, will gain two or three pounds after weigh-ins, but 
you know, if you're a heavier weight or you wrestle later in the dual meet, some guys will put in a solid, you know, eight to 10 pounds in between the time they weigh in and time they wrestle. So, uh, I've gained like eight pounds in the last five years, I think. I don't know yeah, but, that but when you think about it, like just a bottle of water is one pound. So like if you haven't had much water in the, the past day to, to mm. make weight, then you drink two bottles of water. That's just two pounds right in you right away. So it's, uh, it's definitely a different part of our sport that not a lot of people understand. And right. definitely some horror stories about it. But uh, I do think that we're going in the right direction now. Um, with where we're at i was always pretty perplexed by the whole weight component of wrestling because you know i from what i recall a lot of bigger guys would try to drop weight classes because there was this whole thought of like you know they they can wrestle a little bit bigger they're a little bit stronger and if they can wrestle some guys that are naturally smaller than them they can win but then at the same time if you are crash dieting Mm -hmm. um up to the hour before your match, I imagine that creates some level of fatigue uh, in, in a sport that requires quite a bit of endurance. And then there's yeah. also, you throw in the fact that the the lower weight ranges you get, and correct me if I'm wrong, but guys become more technically skilled. Um, so how, how, how do you kind of balance all of that? You know, and, and it sounds like it's, it's, you know, curing itself as time goes on, but what, what was kind of the thinking behind uh, going up and down weight classes? Yeah. Um, I honestly don't know how it started, but probably just like you said, it's like, well, if, if I weigh, you know, 150 pounds, but I can lose, you know, nine or 10 pounds and the weight class is 141, then I'll probably be stronger than the guy that weighs 140. So um, I'm sure that's where it started. And then it, it got kind of out of control and just where our sports at right now, you know, it's such a high level of, of competition. Um, so like we said, you know, it's hard to really, you know, cut too much weight and then be your best, you know, just an hour later, but you know, you you just have to find the good balance. You know, Mm -hmm. we we have a, a nutritionist that works with our guys and, you know, helps them to, you know, eat the right things during the week. And then, you know, the day of the the competition, you know, guys are probably losing, you know, three to four pounds um, in a practice right before um, weigh-ins. And then you weigh in, gain those three or four pounds back and you're hopefully, you know, back to your normal self. But uh, it's definitely a fine line of where is too much weight to cut and, you know, what's the right amount. Gotcha. Gotcha. So at the end of your career wrestling, is there a point where you guys get to do like the reverse NFL offensive lineman where you get to just kind of gain as much weight as you want? Because you wrestled at 120 pounds. I was 120 pounds at uh, 12 years old and mm-hmm. I am not very tall. So <laughs> I, I guess you could say I was just kind of a fat kid. But is once you retire and you aren't wrestling anymore, do you get to finally eat a whole pizza and like put it I mean, on a little bit. Well, that that's always the idea is like, man, I'm going to gain so much weight once I'm done wrestling. And like you said, like I wrestled 125 my freshman year in college and then I was 133 for 2 years, 141 my senior year. Now, when I was wrestling 125, I would still weigh 150 in, you know, the off season or, you know, even a couple of weeks before 
the matches. So I was going from 125 to 150 back down to 125. But, and I kept thinking like, man, I'm going to be, you know, 180 once I'm done wrestling and I weigh 150 right now. So it's like your, your body kind of adjusts to like right. your, your natural size. Um, and I think that I've kind of settled in there, which I'm, I'm okay with. <laughs> I, I've, I did kind of have the, the binge, you know, after you're finally done competing, like I can eat anything I want and it doesn't matter. And then you do that for like a week and you're like, man, I, I feel like crap. Like I, I need to you know, <laughs> clean some things up and, you know, just be a normal person. Yeah. There's a lot of things about nutrition that we don't understand. So we'll leave that to the nutritionists. Yeah. Something else that we don't understand, but hopefully you could explain why is Western Pennsylvania the best hub for wrestling in the country? Yeah, you, yeah, you alluded I, I to it earlier, yeah. Answer for that, too. But, uh, you know, I think there's just a lot of tradition. Um, you know, we've always been kind of like a blue-collar sport. You know, it doesn't take much to to wrestle, you know. Almost every high school, you know, elementary school, they have a wrestling mat, and you need a pair of shoes, um, and that's it, you know, and someone else to wrestle. So there's always another kid around um, that – that is somewhat into it. Um, and a lot of these places, like I grew up with some, some really good wrestlers. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate to have good training partners in that, you know, from the time I started wrestling when I was, you know, four five, six years old, um, through high school and then college, you know, as long as you're around someone else that has similar, uh, goals and aspirations that you do and is, generally the same size you're probably both going to continue to get better um and so i think that is just traditionally you know happened here in western pennsylvania and you know i'm happy to be a part of it because you go to other places and it's like they they think that they have it going on and they know what it's about but you know you keep you come back home to to the wpil and you know it's just different here yeah, aren't there literally wrestling tournaments that are just uh, the Whippeals best versus the rest of the country? Yeah, so there, there's a an event at the end of the uh, at the year at the end of the the high school season that is the WPIL versus like a they choose any state um, in the country and that is such bring, a flex. <laughs> yeah, they'll bring like the state champs from that state to wrestle. So the the best guys in the WPIL, but then they also have this, all the state champs from Pennsylvania wrestle the U S all-star team. And it's a competitive match every single year that, you know, the PA team always stands up to the U S the U S all-stars. That is, that is such a flex telling the whole country, bring us your biggest, strongest boys so we can kick the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty fun to see. You, and that's you, a big advantage for recruiting, too. We talk about it a lot for football because, I mean, football's football, obviously. Right. So it's like, oh, we got to keep the whip. Takes up 80% of our brain, play. yeah. And it, look at the roster. There's a lot of PA kids, a lot of Western PA kids specifically. Uh, I'm sure that's your top priority for wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we – um, we always try and keep the the kids at home and it's a little harder than some people think, you know, these kids, you know, they're getting offers from really big schools and mm-hmm. you know, some of them want to experience something different than Pittsburgh. And, you know, you, you can't blame them for that, but we have a really good thing going right now. So, 
definitely keeping those kids, those local kids home and part of, you know, a great tradition that we have of developing local kids. Um, it, it's important to us and is always going to be one of our number one recruiting uh, things. What, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific number, but uh, roughly what percent of the roster do you think is Whippeal kids right now? Uh, Whippeal in general, I, I would say, well, over 50%. I think, you know, we have 32 guys on our roster. And if I had to guess, maybe five or six are not from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And then when you look at Western PA in general, we're, we're probably 50 to 60% all Whippeal. So this is really Pittsburgh's team. Yeah. At wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so many good kids. So, I mean, you can look at, at other schools too. And um, like, I think last year, um, half of Iowa's lineup was Pennsylvania. So, I mean, all the and best. They're a powerhouse. Right? They're, yeah. Big time powerhouse. They're ranked number two in the country right now. So, oh, wow. um, you know, they're recruiting kids from here also. So that, that obviously makes it tough. Uh, for us, you know, competing against those big time schools. So yeah, Iowa number two in the country. Um, I was a huge wrestling state as well. Iowa state is number three. You guys recently wrestled them. Um, and it was a 15, 15 tie, but you were telling us beforehand that you lost on something called criteria. I guess my question would be how does scoring in wrestling work at all? What is what do any of those words mean? All right. So in our dual meets that we have, you know, we had Pitt versus Iowa State. Uh, there's 10 weight classes. So you wrestle the 10 weight classes. Um, if we call it a regular decision, which means you win by either one point or up to seven points. And the team gets three points for that. Um, so that's what happened at all 10 weight classes. All 10 weight classes were very closely contested. Um, they won five matches. We won five matches. So five times three, you got 15 points. So three team. points to win a match? Three points to win a match. Okay. Yep. Now, uh, uh, if you win by more than that, you know you can get a major decision, which is worth four points. A tech fall means you win by 15 points, um, is worth five, and a pin is worth six team points. Um so the, the team scoring can get, you know, very different. But when it's a close matchup, 15-15 is as close as it gets. Because, like I said, they won five matches, we won five matches, and they were all very close. Um, so then it came down to, you know, the criterias of who's going to actually win the dual meet. And it actually came down to the total points scored. So, like, our 125-pounder won three to one are 133, I think one five to four. So at that point, you know, we're up eight to five. Well, then they had a couple where they outscored us by a little bit more. And I think the final score was like 51 to 46 of total points. So that's what the dual meet came down to. Um, there are a lot of close ones, you know, we lost heavyweight, our heavyweight match, like right at the end. And that would have been a difference maker, but there were a lot of different things in the dual meet that could have gone just a little bit different to where we could have pulled it out. But man, it was an exciting duel. It was our best crowd of the year. Um, people were excited uh, to see a great matchup like that. And our guys all wrestled hard. So it was, 
it was beneficial for us. You know, sometimes, you know, it looks great to beat a, a team 50 to zero or something like that. Mm-hmm. But our guys get a lot more experience out of wrestling those high level teams and preparing us for the national tournament rather than just beating up on, you know, a lower level team. I got you. I got you. And I, I, I know people say like, there's no such thing as a, a moral victory, but there is a such thing as iron sharpens iron. And when you're wrestling a yeah. top three team in the country. Um, and especially yeah. because of like, there's the individual matchups, which is, is so different from any other sport. It's like, right. uh, you know, we have a guy on our team at the time was ranked number two in the country, Nino Bonacorsi. And he wrestled the guy that was ranked number three in the country. So they'd never wrestled each other before. And now he gets the win over this guy who's number three. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the number one guy lost earlier in the week. So now Nino's ranked number one and has wins over, you know, the number three guy, the number five guy, the number six guy. And going into oh, wow. the nationals, it's like, it's great to have that experience and know what to expect uh, for the, for the NCAAs. So at its core, these college wrestling meets are like our how many how many matches you said five, our five best guys fight your five best guys one at a time, and whoever wins the most fights well, yeah, wins well, ten total of ten total of ten yeah total of ten weight classes so yeah our ten guys versus your ten and you know let's see what happens yeah that is cool the word criteria I think tripped me up but it's basically just the tiebreaker is the tiebreaker points okay yeah. okay yeah. that. They should they should just say, say that <laughs> for us, you know. Yeah. So you guys are. It sounds like you're really rounding into form for uh, the ACC championships and and going into NCA. Uh, what when did you say that those tournaments were? Um, the ACC championships is the first weekend in March. So I believe it's it's on Sunday, March fifth or sixth. Uh, I think it's a fifth, and then the NCAs are three days, two weeks later. Um, they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma this year. They'll be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So really that's like the best 33 guys at each weight class meet in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, they have the 125 pound weight class, um, top 33 guys go and, you know, all the way down to who's the national champ. And then, you know, the top eight guys are named all Americans. So, so you said that the team's in a good spot right now. Uh, you have one dual meet left in the championships. What would a successful championship season look for Pitt? Um, so we actually have – we're going to redshirt our, our heavyweight who is like kind of freshman phenom right mm-hmm. now. Um, so that – We've even uh, heard about him. Yeah. You've heard about him? Yeah. yeah Dayton Pitzer is going to be a stud. So make sure you, you keep an eye out uh, in the following years for him. Um but he's going to redshirt this year, this year, so he won't compete in the ACC championships. But um, uh, you know, really, we have definitely three guys that when we go to the national tournament can place really high. I mean, we have a guy ranked number one, number three, and number six in the country right now. Um, so if those guys do what they're supposed to do and, and all American and potentially win the nationals and we're looking at placing a top 10 as a team um, at the NCAAs and at the ACC tournament, it, it'll be tough because of just the way the format is um, NC state and Virginia tech are, are really good teams uh, and uh, it'd be tough to beat them, but definitely possible um, if 
we uh, show our best selves there. Awesome. Sounds like, sounds like we have some pretty high expectations this year. Yeah. Yeah. So t top 10 in the country would, would be really big for us. When's the last time we had that kind of finish? Well, we finished 11th um, two years ago and that was the highest we'd placed in the last like 20, man, maybe even 30 years, you know, oh, wow. been a long time since we placed that high. So, um, we're, I'd say we're generally in that, you know, 10 to 20 range, but if we can break into the, tw the top 10, that'll be a great season for us. So we're, we're looking at a, a generational, you know, pit team all made up of mostly Pittsburgh guys. There's no reason that loyal sons out there shouldn't be, you know, packing the field house to watch you guys on, on the weekends. Exactly. You know, they're, they're a good time. Um, you get to, I mean, it, it's generally like a fight with rules. Um, so, you know, guys, <laughs> uh, getting to go out there just to see who's, who's tougher, who, you know, whether it's, you know, strength, speed, you know, it, it's a little bit of everything. It's not quite MMA, but everybody loves watching the UFC on TV. So, um, there, it's definitely a, a good atmosphere to come out to, you know, watch some some high level wrestling. Um, even if you don't quite understand the scoring, um, you know, my wife comes every match, but she she's still trying to get a hold of all the scoring, uh, <laughs> but she still likes watching. So <laughs> it's yeah, even even without the points, it's mm -hmm. I imagine it's like a, a beautiful ballet of two dudes trying to bloody each other, uh, you know, for, <laughs> exactly. the, for the layman. Um, so. We, we really appreciate you joining us today. Just had uh, one more question for you. Um, so you yourself are a very accomplished wrestler, four-time Whippeal uh, top four finisher, three-time state qualifier. You won a AAA state title in 2002, finished with almost 140 wrestling victories in high school. And that's just high school. Then you went on to wrestle at a division one level, a high level division one level. Um, so my question is, um, could the three loyal sons in a three-on-one combat situation uh, pin you? Mm. We're missing Dylan today, but he's, he's if you can picture him, he's, he's pretty wiry and he's pretty tough. So, you know, put factor that in how you will. Okay. Um, pin is going to be real tough. I, I think I could take you all three there. Um, could I pin all three of you at once? I, I, I doubt that. I'll, I'll take you, you guys on that one, but... Um, I like my chances. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, one of us has wrestled in elementary school. The other, yeah, two, I, uh, I won the yeah. like 2001 Mars uh, beginners tournament, and uh -huh. Squid was a division two walk on on the UPJ cross country team. So we are athletes. Okay. All right. Well, that adds a little bit to it, but I'll I'll still bet on myself on that one. Yeah, our cross-country cross runners are known for their strength and uh, technical skills. So, I was a cross-country runner in high school too. Uh, so it helps with some things, not wrestling. Not, not everything, but <laughs> yeah, I enjoy it. Okay, well, maybe we'll hit the gym and run this back <laughs> yeah. next year. See well, if the uh, next year um, at uh, I almost said Heinz Field, but uh, down in Acrisure Stadium. You know, we'll we'll meet in the parking lot. Yeah, yeah. After a couple icy light mangoes, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think we'll be ready to throw down on the concrete. Yeah. All right. Let's let's set it up. We'll have the medics awesome. on standby. 
I'm gonna get those <laughs> those cute little little earmuffs so that you don't. Let, rip let's them just out get rid of those. Lips. Let's get rid of the headgear. <laughs> I think it looks stupid, <laughs> and they don't help at all. So I don't know why they we don't. Oh, I was told if I didn't wear one, my ears would get ripped off, and I was like, oh, I mean, okay. I was told I had to wear one, and my ears still look like this. So oh, yeah, get a little bit of that the cauliflower ear action. Yeah, yeah, we I can got a lot going on, but like the headgear doesn't even really help it that much. I have a lot of questions about singlets uh, too, but we can we can unpack all of that the next time you come on the show. <laughs> okay, after your your top ten finish. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, best of luck with the upcoming championships, coach. Thanks for having me, guys. Hail to pit. Hail to pit. Thank you to Coach Drew for joining us. Really enjoyed having him on. If you haven't been out to see the Pit Wrestling Panthers yet, they have a match coming up against Duke February 18th. That's a Saturday, Fitzgerald Fieldhouse at noon. Um, should be should be a good win for the Panthers, knock on wood, but uh, go out and see the boys. Um, they are a, a team of local guys, whippy old kids, and they uh, they might be one of the best pit teams we've had in quite a while per, uh, per Coach Drew, so go check them out. Um, thanks again. Uh, before we wrap up, as always, you guys want to hit me with a couple final thoughts to send us into the week? I have a bold prediction I'll make. We are recording this. I'll show my phone as proof. This is Sunday at 153. The Super Bowl hasn't happened yet. You might be okay, listening to it after. Love it. And uh, I'm predicting an Avante Maddox interception. He's going to have a, a big interception on Pat Mahomes tonight. Only pit guy on the field. He's going to make a big impact. Yeah. I mean, pit men tend to do that, especially pit defensive backs. So mm-hmm. Remember last Super Bowl? Are we going to just cut that part out, Squid, if he doesn't get it? He's going to. You're right. What am I thinking? And that's a lot of work to go back. We have integrity. Changes, so. Yeah, we left the Nike tweet up, so we can leave this in the, the pod. So, what a ride. Touche. Don't let me down, Avante. Well, for me, uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking recently. I've So, I have two tattoos. Just... Two, I got them both by the time I was 20 years old. And as soon as I got the second one, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get another. Oh, and yeah. Here I am, 26 years old, and I still only have the two tattoos. Uh, but I, I'm getting the itch for another. And I've decided, you know, the it's going to take a little bit of something to push me over and actually take up the effort to go to the tattoo shop and get it done and squeeze the chair because i'm a little baby and tattoos do hurt um just get hammered beforehand yeah i heard that's great that's exactly (laughs) what they teach you to do um i am going to get a hail to pit tattoo if they win the acc tournament in basketball if they design that's h2p hail to pit and script you thought that far ahead no this is very off off the cuff here i'm I haven't done much planning whatsoever. So, so it'll be just winning, like when you got your nose and ears pierced. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Not, not much planning or thought going into it. I will, uh, I'll, I'll think about the design. If anyone has any ideas, definitely send them in. We'll take a look and see what works best. But yeah, it, I think Pitt's on a roll right now. They're playing their best basketball. They're peaking. So if they win that ACC tournament in Greensboro, I'll be getting a pit tattoo. 
It's a lot of pressure on our Panthers. Hey, they they can handle it. Wow, that's that's a big one. That's that's a true loyal son right there. Does any tattoo artists out there listening uh, warm up your your hands, your wrists, get your tattoo thingy Gun. ready? Guns <laughs> coming once Pitt wins. Squid outing himself as a non-tattoo guy. I would love to go directly after the game, but that's the ACC championship also falls on the same day as the St. Paddy's Day parade in Pittsburgh this year. And oh, you gotta! It's just no, I I can't. You you just said get drunk before you go, and I guess I would that would fall in line there. Enough of my final thought. Okay, <laughs> you you have something for us. I've been waiting for it all week. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the loser of last week's Mount Washington that he just had in the bag. I, I, I would like to go back and listen to how confident and how the shit eating grin you had on your face when you took Florida State and Clemson. I got the best two picks and pick three and four. Listen, are you guys idiots? I did not call you guys idiots. How stupid are you guys? I can't believe I do a show with you two. Something These are like not that. direct quotes. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm. Um, you know, this this could have been a big opportunity for me to to look within and think like, wow, am I really that disconnected with the common man and the common fan? Um, but I didn't do that. I'm disappointed in our listeners. I won. I, I, I guess I just think less of Pitt fans now because I had to go see 80 for Brady um, despite very clearly winning that Mount Rushmore. But whatever. Here's the thing. You lost. You got last place. It was your Mount Washington idea, and you came up with the punishment. You have no excuses. This was your thing. My excuse is uh, that I was right and everybody else was wrong. But being a man of integrity, I went to the Friday matinee of 80 for Brady, and I have some thoughts. Do tell. So... My my first question going into this, and I tried to go in with a very open mind, was who is this for? Who the fuck is this movie for? You have four of the most iconic and talented female entertainers of the 20th century in one movie. Sally Field, Lily Tomlin, the Jane Fonda, and Rita Morena. Between them, that is 13 Emmys, three Grammys, three Tonys, 10 Oscar nominations, and three Peabody's, which is weird because Peabody's are for journalism. So I don't I don't really get that, but all that to say, like, like this this is an all-star cast in 1968. Like icons, but a movie about Tom Brady's Super Bowl win over the Falcons. So I, I'm just trying to figure, like, is this a movie for octogenarian football fans who live in Boston? I don't know. Um, so I, I went trying to just uncover this question. And what I found out is uh, that this movie is for nobody. It's <laughs> for people in the theater with you. I was the only one in the theater under 70, I want to say. It was also a Friday afternoon matinee, which is so I was the only one in the entire 
movie theater in Aspinwall under the age of 70. So, um, you know, that, that probably tainted the sample, but, um, I, I would say people in there with me saw, um, Rita Morena in West Side Story in like 1960 and are just happy they get to see her in one more. Um, she's got an EGOT, by the way. Anyway. I don't so, know what that is. An Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Know. And it's like the most rarefied air in entertainment. And she has that. And she was in 80 for Brady. So to, to speak to the movie itself... Um, Honestly, it had decent potential, um, but it's like a surprising amount of potential for a movie for nobody. It's it's kind of heartfelt, and I did chuckle once or twice. And at its core, it's it's about a group of friends uniting around a common cause, um, the New England Patriots. Uh, that's basically a symbol for um, you know that their fight together when Lily Tomlin's character had cancer. And it's this big symbolic thing, this uniting factor that has kept them together and gave her something to fight for. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty half baked. Like they, they don't capitalize on the little potential there is. I'm getting too analytical. Here's, here's the part that you guys really want. The funniest part about this movie is that Jane Fonda's character plays a Rob Gronkowski erotic fan fiction novel writer like she she writes erotic fan fiction about rob gronkowski and then she meets rob gronkowski and he says to her that he doesn't go anywhere without the book which again is erotic fan fiction about himself so one the impl implication that such a thing could exist and two um, it implies that Rob Gronkowski has ever read a book. That is the funniest part of this movie, and it's almost worth the price of ad admission. It's not, but it's the best thing in the movie. Um, and then that is a real book. I did hear what in like a tweet that they actually wrote like a few chapters just because so they, it wouldn't be like a blank book or like a random book. They there's a few entries in there. I did not read what those were, but they do exist for anyone out there who might be nobody out there is interested in that. Who might that's uh, I'll be honest. That kind of just like purely wronging to remember. Yes. I just, I mean, it's on Amazon. <laughs> you can put it in your, how Kindle. much? 799 for a uh, paperback. Book one in the Rob Gronkowski erotica series. So you guys the loser at the next one have to buy the book and book read it. Yeah. I was going to say we need a loyal sons book club. Um, but uh, I like that idea more. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> Rob Gronkowski fan fiction exists. It is a real thing. I don't want to know what a gronking is, but I think I have a couple ideas. Um, yeah. So that was that was a cameo worth almost half the price of admission. Um, the only other note I have, because I'm sure you guys are probably done with this by now, um, Tom Brady steals the show. How much he's, is he in it? He's in like the last 
15 minutes there's this really like the climax of the movie is they're down 28 to 3 to the falcons and uh these four women break into the coordinator's office like the the booth and steals a mic and gives tom brady this big pep talk <laughs> about like how he saved her from dying of cancer and how the Tom Brady she knows would never give up. And it's completely undercut by Tom, <laughs> Tom Brady just staring. That was actually just a cough. I wasn't laughing. <laughs> Squid just got into a coughing fit over this plot line. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> this entire scene is undercut by Tom Brady just staring up at the press box, listening intently, like holding his helmet to the side of his head, staring like this, not, not blinking, not breaking his expression for like a full three minutes while she gives him this raw, raw speech. Other than that, he is in the last couple minutes and he is um, obnoxiously charming and I hated it. But uh, sounds like this should have been a delay of game penalty during that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they played pretty fast and loose with the whole football thing. Um, mm -hmm. But went really heavy on like the Boston aspect of things. So again, Ew. who is this movie for? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. After we did the Mount Washington, I was like, ah, at this point, I wouldn't mind going to see this movie. I was seeing some tweets like, oh, it has some heart. La, it's got la, some la. heart. You yeah. feel. After your synopsis of it, I... I have my answer. I won't be seeing this movie. You won't be seeing it? No. I don't need the full movie. I might look up a few clips. I have very low standards for movies, so. Yeah, one Squid day, cut. Squid, if we ever just start beating the hell out of you in Mount Washington's and we need to get your, your heart up a little bit, we're, we're going to do a Mount Washington of shark movies. We're and you can just clean four. us up. Off the top of my head, we're going Sharknado 1, Jaws 3, Trailer Park Shark Attack, and Sharknado 3, I think. That's... I, I have a lot of questions, but I really think this needs to be its own segment at some point. Okay. Ghost Shark, honorable mention. That's all you're getting. So I guess... To sum it all up, go see Ghost Shark. Probably don't see 80 for Brady. Sounds good enough for me. Super Bowl's in a few hours, so. I think we're done here. We good? Got anything else for our final thoughts? Uh, final. Sally Field is a national treasure. Hail loyal sons of Pittsburgh. So is Federico Federico.